We're in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 1. We're continuing in verse 6. Here's how it reads. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Do you know that's not the uh, author of this book, the Gospel of John? I used to think it was. In fact, interestingly, the writer of the book, John, never in this entire book identifies himself by name. Never, never, never. So when you see the name John in John's gospel, it's a reference to another John, namely John the Baptist. That's who we're talking about here. You know who he was? A man, just a man, but he was a man sent on a divine mission, a very significant one. He was a man sent from God. In fact, his mission was of such divine origin that it was foretold over 400 years before he was born. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. That's a reference to John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was remarkable in many ways, including even in the nature of his birth. See, his father, Zechariah, was very advanced in years. His mother, Elizabeth, was unable to have children. She was barren, and yet she became pregnant, interestingly, just a few months, in fact, before her relative, Mary, who birthed Jesus, became pregnant. John the Baptist is the only person in human history of whom it is said he was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. But God sent this one, John the Baptist, on a special mission. God sent Jesus. You would think that would be enough, but it really wasn't. He also sent witnesses to Jesus, of which John was one. In fact, he might more appropriately be referred to as John the witness rather than as John the Baptist. His baptizing in the Jordan River was not the significant identifying factor of his life. That he was a witness to Jesus is really what set him apart. Now, why did God need someone to herald the coming of his son? Why did God need a forerunner, a herald, to announce the coming of his son? Couldn't God have sent angels to do that? Oh, yeah, he, he surely could have. But apparently he did not. He sent a man to testify of his son. And that seems to be God's pattern through human history. Though he could use any instrumentality to get the good news out, he seems to use humans to spread the good news. This seems to be his chosen method. So verse 7, he, John, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Yeah, I wondered why light, <laughs> why light needs a witness. Then it occurred to me it's because we're in the darkness. And blind to such extent, we cannot see the light. And so God sent John the Baptist and other witnesses, whom we'll read about in John's gospel, to alert us to the light. Of course, the light is the Lord Jesus Christ. John was a witness to the light. What an interesting word is that word, witness. Have you heard the word martyr? Um, the Greek word for witness is the word from which we get the word martyr. 
And that was surely the case with John the Baptist. He witnessed for about three years. And about half of that, that time, he was incarcerated, what he did. And finally, his incarceration actually led up to his death, his execution. He was beheaded. Truly, he was a martyr for the faith. The text says he came, John the Baptist, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Boy, those words got my attention. You see, we don't really believe, think about this, we don't really believe through Christ. We believe in Christ. And in order to get to the point where we believe in Christ, it has to come through the instrumentality of someone who tells us about Christ. That's just the way God did it. Well, John wanted to be such a vehicle, such a vessel, such a witness, to the extent, as it says here, that people might believe through him. He wanted his life to so represent and reflect Christ that people, this was amazing, that people could actually believe in Christ through him, John. So I asked this haunting question. I've asked it of myself before I got here, so um, I, I'm going to ask it of you just as I asked it of myself. Can people look at you, me, and listen to you or me? And through you or me, believe in Christ. Isn't that the haunting question of the day? Can people hear of and see Jesus in our lives to such an extent that we as witnesses are making it easier for people to believe in him? That's the question. We must answer, I hope, in the affirmative. For uh, toward that end, we are called, just like John, to be witnesses of the light. Now, John made this clear in verse 8. He said, I, he said, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. You know, John, you'll see, continually emphasized, I am not the one to be enamored with. I, I, I'm pointing beyond myself to the one who is the light. It, it is with him you ought to be enamored. All the light John had, all the light we have, all the light any church has, you know, is really borrowed light. We celebrated Sagemont's 50th, and I think that was perfectly acceptable, but let's not get carried away. All the light our marvelous pastor has, all the light our fantastic church has, all the light we as individuals have, that's all borrowed light. The purpose of a church, a pastor, individual members, is always, always to do what John did, and that is to call attention to the light. Now, this passage tells me something, maybe not so profound, but easily missed. It's this. Our God is not only a saving God. He is a sending God. He provides salvation for sure, but he also provides the means of our salvation, and it is through those whom he sends. So God saves, and then God sends and it is folks like you and I who get sent. I don't know why God works this way, but he does. He has chosen to work through people with sin natures like ours, flawed people, in order to beckon to other flawed and sinful people to come to the light. That's the way God works. Which leads me to this. 
You and I need to be open to being sent. That's our calling. You and I have to be open to it. John the Baptist was sent to the people of Israel. Here's another question. Who have you been sent to? Some are sent to a particular missions group, a people group, as missionaries, part-time or full-time. Now, that would be the exception to the rule. That's not all of us. Still, the question could be asked, should be asked, oh, God, who are you sending me to? I have one answer. For sure, for each of us, we have been sent, for sure, to the people whom God has sent (laughs) to us. Uh, Whoever it is, know this, if you are saved, you are sent. I told you a story about a pizza lady who delivered a pizza to our door a few weeks ago. Uh, I was sent here for her. (laughs) I know this, could God sent her to me. I could say the same about the UPS man who dropped off a package, you say. I may not be called to a specific people group across the ocean, But for sure, I am sent to those whom God sent to me. It is to them I am to be a witness for Christ. And so, folks, people whom God has saved, he has sent to be his witnesses. And the words of God's witnesses are the means by which other people can be saved. So back to the question you wrestled with earlier, what makes a good witness in a court of law? I would like to suggest, I'll bet you came up with these three things. One... Uh, The witness must know the facts of the case. Can you imagine someone being called to the stand, being asked, let's say, about an automobile accident? And then the witness says, I can't really tell you too much about it. I blinked when it all happened. See, that person will be disqualified. That person doesn't know the facts of the situation to which he's called to testify about. So what makes a good witness is, number one, familiarity with the facts. Number two... You have to know not only the facts, but the accused. Can you imagine you're called to testify on behalf of somebody, and the lawyer asks you a question, and you say, I just met him five minutes ago. I don't have much to say, good or bad. Oh, my goodness, you'd be disqualified as a credible witness. A good witness must know the facts. A good witness must know the accused. And thirdly, a good witness must have a good character. I mean, if it's a questionable person called on the stand... Uh, the opposition attorney could uh, surely discredit anything he has to say by his own life, which has discredited himself. So we want to be good witnesses for Christ Jesus. Therefore, we must be familiar with the facts. What are the facts of the gospel message? Well, these could be communicated in many ways. I'll just give you a sampling. Here's fact number one. God made us in his own image so that we could know him personally, walk with him and enjoy him forever. Fact number two, the first of us uh, jeopardized all that by sin. They turned away from God, and their sin nature separated them from God, and their sin nature has become ours so that we too are separated from the God who made us to be close to him. Fact number three, just as our forebears, Adam and Eve, tried to get right with God through all manner of means, And failed so too today, we're exerting ourselves on all kinds of futile efforts to bridge the gap with Almighty God. We're trying to do it through religion, through good deeds, through promises, through personal merit, and they all fall short. Fact number four, it's God who's provided the only 
a workable and viable means by which we could be made right with him. It was through the offering, the sacrificial offering of his own son, Jesus, who came so as to die in our place. And fact number five, God's marvelous and gracious provision for sin is of absolutely no value to a person unless that personally, a person personally accepts Jesus as personal savior. Well, in a rough way, those are the facts of the faith with which we are to be familiar. And then secondly, if we want to be good witnesses for Christ, we must be becoming increasingly familiar with him so as to defend him. He's the accused whom we defend. Isn't that something to think about? And you say, what are we uh, uh, defending him against? Well, lots of distorted notions, lots of false accusation. And you know the number one thing we're defending Christ against? Apathy. Indifference. Sheer and utter dismissal of Christ in our day. No! As witnesses, we must cry out on behalf of his character with accuracy. Now, how do you get to know the accused? Folks, uh, this must motivate us to immerse ourselves in Scripture. That's how we learn about Christ, and that's where we learn uh, about what Christ wants us to to be and do. So we have to know the accused. A long time ago, I memorized this verse. It really helped me. It's in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he, Jesus, appointed 12, the famous 12 we read about, uh, so that they may be, and I love this, with him, those two words. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him as an end in itself? No. So that he could send them out to preach. But I love the order of the calling with which they were called. First, it wasn't to send them out to preach. No, no, no. First, they were called to simply be with him. And the byproduct, the overflow of the with him experience would be that they would be effective witnesses for Christ. How's your with him experience? Are you making time to be alone with the Lord? I tell you, in the overflow, our witness becomes more credible. You know, I don't want to... caused David to stumble by maybe calling too much attention to what he did earlier. But this reading of the text and the sharing of how he reflected on it and how he applied it to his life really got my attention because it showed me he had spent time with the Lord before he showed up tonight. I was all ears because I could tell there's a guy who exploited the with him possibility which the Lord has extended to us. Folks, someone said we can become so busy in the work of the kingdom uh, that we fail to spend time with the king. Don't do that. Jesus did not save you or I to be his witnesses as a priority. He saved you and I to be with him and in the overflow we become credible witnesses. So an expert witness for Christ knows the facts, knows the accused, and has a good and godly character I'm grateful to this day for the witness God sent my way who in the military barracks knew the facts and clearly the facts of the gospel shared them with me, knew the accused, told me about Jesus, and lived a life that did not discredit what he had told me. I'm very grateful for him. I saw this one. His name is Mark. I saw Mark's life, and it forced me to ask him a question about it. What makes you tick, said I. I wouldn't even have asked that question if I saw an inconsistency between what he was saying and the way he was living, you see. So his witness was not discredited at all. John came as a witness. In fact, he came to be a witness, uh, meaning 
you and I are always witnesses for Christ, and at times we get to actually speak about him. This is very interesting. Usually when we think of a witness, we think primarily about someone who's proclaiming something. That's important. But I think maybe we're missing the point. Witnessing is not so much about what we are saying and doing. It's also about our state of being. I have to tell you something. If you have identified with Christ in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in the school classroom, everything you do from that point on will reflect on him positively or negatively. If you have declared the gospel to someone in the workplace, the classroom, or in your neighborhood, after you have given your witness, you remain a witness. And those who have heard your declared witness are going to see whether it's taken root in your life, whether it's made any difference. And so we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be, not do, you shall be my witnesses all over the place. I have to tell you, my fellow Christians, you are a witness for Christ the minute you're saved. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Be a good one. It's better. I was sent to a young man this week, but I didn't realize it. Uh, I thought I was sent by my wife on a chore. <laughs> I loaded up something in my car, and I was going to bring it to a collection center, one of these places that take what you donate, maybe refurbish it, make it available to poor and needy people, or maybe sell it on their behalf. I had an object. I brought it. A young, kind of scruffy guy was there to meet me, and this was just something dropping off this object that was on my do list. My uh, goal and objective was simply to drop this off and, uh, and get a, a, a tax refundable thing. You know what I mean? Why not milk the system a little bit? And uh, I thought that was why I was sent. Well, that was my business. You know, but God had other things in mind. And I must tell you, uh, it took me a while to remember, oh my goodness, I'm a witness. I'm not a guy just deposit, to deposit this thing. I, uh, uh, that guy was sent to me, <laughs> and therefore I knew I was sent to him. So I started to be a witness. What does that mean? Be friendly, be kind, as our pastor often exhorts us. Give a word, a look, and a touch. And that's what I did. And then I started simply to ask him questions about himself. How long have you been here? What's it like? Does it hurt your back? What a goofy question. I didn't know what to do. Does it hurt your back to lift all this stuff? I didn't even said, let me help you carry it, as if I could. And, uh, well, it just opened up stuff, and I could see that he appreciated the interest I was taking in his life. And then I said to him the thing I'm uh, wanting to encourage you to memorize and maybe do. I said to him, I know you're busy, but let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I told him, it's when I realized Almighty God stood willing to forgive me of all my sins through faith in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for me on a cross. That's what I did. A little conversation ensued, not much. A little something, I got his name. I prayed for him, maybe I'll see him again. I don't know. I made a deposit. And the reason why I almost missed it is not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, it's that I got distracted from the gospel because I forgot why I'm put on earth. It was to bear witness to the light that all might believe in him. That's your job. That's my job. Job? No. That's your privilege. 
That's my privilege. I want to ask you to pray. I asked this last week, and I prayed about it. And Look, God was so good to give me an opportunity to ask this simple question. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It is when I realized Almighty God was willing to forgive me by faith in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for me. Look how quick, look how easy, you see, to start a conversation. Could I encourage you simply to pray, oh God, give me eyes to see the person to whom I am sent this week, and give me, since I have a heart for you, give me a mouth to express the greatest thing that ever happened to me, to that one person. I dare you, pray that. See if God blesses you by letting you be a declaring witness this particular week. Um, see this lady in the front row here? That's Natty Hoffman. She's a wonderful lady. And uh, she was sharing earlier with me about her dear mom, who I believe is 75 years old, in Mexico. She fell. She broke her hip. Natty had been having conversation with her. The doctors can't do surgery. They don't think it's a good idea at this point. So physically, uh, Natty's mom is challenged by this. But Natty's big concern, sure, for her physical well-being, but Natty's big concern was her spiritual well-being. So Skyping to one another from good old Houston all the way to Mexico, a younger woman, an older woman, and Natty expressed the gospel message to her mom. Natty beseeched her mom to take Jesus as Savior, and her mother did. <laughs> God used a flawed, ordinary human being with a sin nature, for sure. God used the mere words of this little gal <laughs> at a great distance <laughs> through technology. He used her words to uh, birth faith in the life of a needy, older, wonderful mom all the way in Mexico. That was the process God used to introduce this lady's mother to her heavenly father through Jesus, the only begotten son. What an experience it would be to be involved in that kind of transaction, don't you think? This is the privilege the Lord Jesus has bestowed upon us. This is our task. Therefore, my fellow witnesses, uh, you and I want to become expert witnesses, not ordinary witnesses. We want to know the facts of the gospel, for sure. We want to continually and increasingly be knowing the accused, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to pray that God would give us eyes to see the, one, the ones to whom we are sent with the gospel message. We want to be pointers to the light that all might believe through him. Earlier today, one of our dear members passed away, Jim Feaster, a wonderful man, student of the word. Marge Feaster is his wife. Um, he got sick this morning. She took him to the hospital, and a few hours thereafter, he passed away. Cardiac uh, condition, which was... in. Nobody knew about that. He had ailments, but not this particular one. What a sense of sadness, even for some 
some of you, like my brother Jimmy, who's very close friends with Jim Feaster. But the tragedy is not that Jim Feaster passed away because he passed away in Christ Jesus. The tragedy is when a person passes away into sheer and utter darkness apart from Christ. Can you see the significance of what we are called to do? <laughs> we are called to be witnesses of this one who can save a soul to the uttermost. Knowing this, his now widowed wife, Marge, was not overcome with grief. Now, I know in the days ahead, um, she will experience things she's not experienced before, and thus we must pray for her. Still, I could hear in her voice the very hopeful expectation of reunion. She was not overwhelmed by this, confused by the mystery of it all, because the mystery has been removed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She knows that's where her husband is. And God put that message in you and I. You may feel unworthy, insignificant, and all the rest, but the Lord Jesus has given us the kind of significance he gave to John the Baptist. There came a man sent from God. Put in your name. There came a, you can put in your name, sent from God to be a witness. Can you imagine a more lofty occupation than to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus? That's our goal in this world, becoming increasingly dark and sin sick. It just means more ample opportunity for us to call attention to the light of the world. Just uh, to make sure you got this, if you care to use this little methodology, I just wanted to come up with a quick way to get a spiritual conversation going. So here again, I don't ask a person if they'll let me share. I don't want to give them the option. I just say, hey, let me, I don't say, can I tell you? They may say no. Uh, so I just don't let them have a choice. I say, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Can you repeat that with me? Let me tell you about the greatest thing. And then I tell them, it is when I realized that Almighty God stood ready to forgive all my sins by my faith in the sacrifice of his own son, I name him Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in my place. Can you try something like that with me? It is when I realized that God stood ready to forgive all my sins by my faith in the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross in my place. Boom! Why don't you pray that God would use you to do that kind of thing this week? And if he does, the next time we get together, uh, Lord willing, again, it won't be next week, the week after, I would like to challenge you to tell us all about it. <laughs> you just tap me on the shoulder. It could be right before the service. Stuart, I had a grand opportunity to point someone to the light. I had a grand opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. I was exhilarated by it. i got to share it with someone. We just do it. You don't have to rehearse. You don't have to prepare. We're not trying to impress anyone. 
I would like what you just did to become in contagious. I would like what you just did in pointing someone to the light to become contagious, make people jealous of it. So we do that every Wednesday night from now on. Anytime you've had a witnessing opportunity, we are witnesses, but when you have it, an opportunity to give your witness, I want you to just tap me on the shoulder. You say, Stuart, I don't know what's going on tonight, but too bad. I want you to give me the microphone. I want an opportunity to tell people uh, how uh, Almighty God gave me an opportunity to be a witness for him, okay? That's what we'll do.